Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, help me to be faithful and not fearful and bold and clear in a way that would be helpful to us this morning. Amen. So when we're talking in this Advent series about the extravagant kingdom and this extravagant king that we had last week, we started the series with our extravagant God, our extravagant king, and just talking about his, his love and his mercy and his grace and how it is just extravagant and over the top. And so we said that in, the next, uh, in these next few weeks, we're going to talk about our response to that and like, what does it look like to live in response to this generous God who loves us? And we would be doing a disservice if we did not talk about money in that, in giving. And we know if you've been in church at all, you've heard people say that, um, that Jesus talks more about money than anything else. Randy Alcorn puts it at about 15% of everything that Jesus said had something to do with money. It's pretty incredible when you think about it. And so today I want to help us understand why. Why is this such a critical issue? Like what, what is at the root of this heart issue? Why is it such a big deal? Why is giving such a big deal? What do we, and then what do we get from it? Like what does God promise us in return for that? And then how do we do it? This passage sometimes gets separated into different sections, but it really is pretty much, Matthew 6, almost in its entirety, is really about money. It's about giving. It's about generosity. And there's some interesting points in there that we sometimes separate and disconnect, but this kind of hinge verse in here is in verse 24, when he says, no one, he says, can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so what Jesus is connecting here is irrefutably, he is saying money and worship of God are connected. What you do with your money is about worship. It is about who you will worship. Notice Jesus here is not talking about God versus a thing. He's not saying, okay, you'll either serve God or this intangible thing. He's actually turning, he's personifying money and saying it is a God. It is an idol. He is talking about God versus another lesser God. He's personifying money and he's saying you can't serve them both. It is all or nothing. These are strong words. And what he is pointing out here is what we know from all of Scripture is that the biggest thing keeping you from God is another God. And the most common one is money. The biggest thing keeping you from God, from intimacy with God, is your worship of another God. This is the way it has been all throughout Scripture. And what often happens for us, regardless of whether it's about money or some other idol, what happens to us is that we want to believe that we can worship both God and our idols. We want to believe that those two things can coexist. And so people will say, like, well, I want to feel close to God. I want to grow in my faith. And 
when those idols are confronted, they say, yeah, but I, well, this isn't bad. I don't want to give this up. Like, I want to I grow in my relationship with God, but I want to do it in a way that allows me to continue to worship my other idols. And Jesus is saying that the biggest one is money. And I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you want to grow in your faith, Everything else is largely a waste of time until you deal with the issue of money. Why do I say that? Well, I've quoted before a friend of mine who has written a lot on this issue, and he gives this illustration. So if you find this illustration offensive, then I will give you his email address, but I, I'm just repeating it. So his, his illustration that he has written about is that it would be like a husband saying that he wants help with his relationship with his wife. And you find out as he's desiring to have this relationship with his wife, you find out that he's having an affair. If you tell him to stop having an affair, if he says, well, no, 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 I didn't come to you to talk about my affair. I came to you to talk about my relationship with my wife. I want help with my relationship with my wife. I don't want to talk to you about this. We would all see that as ridiculous. That's obviously ridiculous. And if he said, like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll deal with this a little bit. Like, I'll stop seeing my mistress so often. We'd say, are you insane? But that's exactly what we do when it comes to money. You say, I, I want to be closer to Jesus. I want to trust him more. I want to feel his presence. Well, this first place that Jesus is going to go is money. And we'll say, like, well, I don't want to talk about money. You know, the church always talks about money, and that's, that's the problem with the church. Well, then that's our problem with Jesus. If we say, I don't want to talk about money, I want to know Jesus better. I want to do a study. I want to, do, I want to have something to do with my prayer life. I want something. And, I, and what we're going to say is, well, but you have this massive idol in your life that you're saying is off limits to God. And what Jesus is saying is they will not coexist. I can't give you enough studies or enough book recommendations or enough meetings if you're going to maintain your worship of your idol at the same time. So it is a heart worship issue. And if it has to do with our heart, then that's why Jesus gives us this this, um, exhortation. He says, lay up treasures in heaven... Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. They can't be destroyed there. Nothing can steal them. Nothing can break down there. And then he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice the order. He he doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will follow. Though that can be true and that can be a thing. He's saying where your treasure is, your heart will go. It will be also. So the whole point of this passage is where, wherever your treasure goes, your heart follows. If you want your heart to go somewhere, then give in that direction. Obey in that direction. He's saying like where you give, then your heart will follow. And so when somebody, that's why we say, when somebody says, I want to grow closer to Jesus, like if I don't go there, then I'm just ignoring what Jesus is saying because it makes me uncomfortable. And that's not loving. John Calvin says the human heart is an idol factory. Our hearts just, like we love to create idols. Our our hearts are always desiring something and desiring to worship something. Our hearts are never neutral. Our hearts always want something. They're always going in a direction. Whether we realize it or not, they're always being pulled by something and drawn to something. Our hearts are never neutral. And so if you want to love God... If that's where you want your heart to go, then the counsel Jesus is going to give you is to give. Because giving is the most tangible way to demonstrate an intangible faith. The physical act of doing something steers the heart. We, we see this in other areas, right? I mean, we just did it like right now as we sing songs. We sing songs. Have you ever come into a worship service not knowing, like not feeling really strong, not feeling very worshipful in your heart, 
But then you get up and you hear the music and you start to sing out loud. And as you're singing, like your heart starts to become stirred to worship. Anybody have that experience? Yeah, it's because it's your body telling you, hey, this is what we're doing. And your heart follows. We do that with singing. We do that like maybe if you raise your hands. It's your body telling your heart, this is what we are worshiping. And your heart will follow. We've talked before about like how in our house we have um, the 20-second hug. If you're really frustrated with somebody or, or like somebody needs something like that, you have to give the 20-second hug and you start counting to 20 seconds. Because at 20 seconds, like studies have shown that at 20 seconds, you, that's when you get like the benefit of that hug. Which if you've never done that, try it. It is brutally long. Okay. <laughs> Um, especially if you have a child who's crying and it's not like, you know, all that stuff. It's just, so 20 seconds. But what is that doing? It's my body telling my heart, hey, this is what's going on. I love this child. And your heart will follow. And giving functions in a very similar way. Where you place your treasure, your heart will follow. It's your body saying through the physical act of giving, this is what we value. This is what we love. You might say, well, is it really that big of a deal? Like, can't you do that with other things? Maybe, but again, I'm going to keep pointing back to Jesus seems to go after this a lot. I mean, just think about it. If he would have said like, hey, here's what I want. I want you to love God more, which he does say. People are going to say, well, how? Or if they say, if he says, love your neighbor, they're going to say, who's my neighbor? Or if he says, take God seriously, they're going to say, we, we do. If he's going to say, keep my commandments, they say, well, we, we do that. And we see that in the rich young ruler in Mark 10. Where he says, I've, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In a sense, what Jesus is saying here, when the rich young ruler is saying, like, I've kept all these commandments from when I was young. I've done all of these things. Jesus says, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Which is a crude saying, but there's a reason why it's a saying. Because we know that we can say all kinds of things, but when we give what is most valuable to us, then that demonstrates our belief. And it's not for our sake. I mean, it's not for God's sake, it's for our sake. Notice what it says there. That It says, Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him. You notice that? This was how Jesus loved him. It doesn't say, it's not like Jesus has this posture of like, well, you didn't do everything. What Jesus knows is that calling out this idol in this man's life is the most loving thing he can do. Because that man is on a road to destruction and thinks he is on the road to life. And Jesus is saying, you're not. You do not love God the way that you say that you do. And because he loves him, he says, you lack this one thing. Go sell all that you have. See, God doesn't need to see the condition of your faith. He already knows it. You and I need to see it. And in his kindness, he lets us see it. He gives us a glimpse of it. Do you believe that God is sovereign over all things? Do you believe that he is preparing a place for you? Do you believe that he became flesh and lived the life that we were called to live and could not and died the death that we deserved and then was raised from the dead three days later and ascended into heaven? Do you believe that he has given you the Holy Spirit and greater things than, the church, than these will the church do? Do you believe that the kingdom is more worthy than any worldly treasure? 
And we're really good at saying, yes, amen, I believe all of those things. And Jesus says, do you? Then give. Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. God said to the man who built even bigger barns, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He says, Sell your possessions and give alms. Provide yourselves with purses in heaven. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. It is a heart issue. It is a worship issue. But it is for us. He gives us this opportunity for us. He's not saying, hey, do this because it's the right thing to do. Notice what he says. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is a question that I used to ask and, and was asked of me and, um, and growing up in the faith was asking this question of like, what should be my motivation for giving? Why should I be motivated to give? If I ask you that question right now and just think like, so why, why should you give? I think most people here, we, the answers that would kind of pop into our minds is because Jesus commands it. True. Because it's a good thing to do. True. Because we're supposed to be generous as our Father is generous, true. But how many of us would say, because of the rewards we get? Like, especially in our church traditions here, like, we don't like to talk about that. That's really confusing. And so the, the question would be, like, is it better to give selflessly and wanting nothing back from it or to give expecting something greater in return? Which is more godly? Well, it depends on whether we believe the Bible or not. You might say, well, yeah, we're supposed to give expecting nothing in return. Like Jesus says in Luke 14, when you invite someone, do not invite someone. Like when you have a banquet or host this party, don't invite people who can pay you back. In Matthew 6, he says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you fast and you pray, don't, don't do it to be praised by others. And so we could look at that and say, like, see, we're supposed to give, we're supposed to fast, we're supposed to pray, and we're supposed to do all of it, not expecting anything in return, because we're just good people who don't want anything or need anything. Except that's blasphemy. Because he doesn't say, don't do those things, because you shouldn't need a reward. Do them because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't say those things. He says, because God is going to reward you and it's better than that like measly little reward that you're going after here on earth. Luke 14, in that, he says, you, don't, when you invite someone, don't invite someone who can pay you back. Instead, he says, invite those who cannot pay you back and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then in Matthew 6, in each one of those situations where he talks about giving and fasting and praying, he says, don't do it so that other people will reward you. He says, do it so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He's not saying, well, make sure nobody knows because if anybody knows anything at all, well, then you lost your reward. But he's saying, look, if your heart is inclined to the rewards that you get here on earth, these temporary things, then you'll miss out on the better thing. It's like the, the old show, Let's Make a Deal. Does anybody remember Let's Make a Deal? I'm realizing that's getting less and less, people. Okay, great, for the eight of us. Um, the rest of you can go look it up on YouTube. Um, but it's like, and let's make a deal. You, like, you get this thing in front of you, you see that thing, and they say, you can have this thing, or you can have what's behind door number two. The thing you can't see. And what Jesus is doing basically in this passage, he's saying like, let's make a deal. You can have this thing right here, the praises of men. You can have people think that you are super holy. 
or you can have what's behind door number two. And then he goes, door number two is better. And the question is, do you believe him? Like, he's giving you the answer. I mean, imagine if in Let's Make a Deal, the host stands up there and he's like, hey, you can have this, or you can have, you can have this brand new toaster, or you can have what's behind door number two. By the way, behind door number two is a vacation home. Uh, I'll take door number two. Good choice. That's the game show that he's playing. He's telling you it's better. And when we say, oh, no, 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 I don't need that. I don't need what's behind door number two. God, like, I just want to do the right thing. What we're actually doing is we're trying to build up works for ourselves. And what we're trying to do is tell God, I don't need anything from you, which could not be a bigger lie or further from the truth. Because in the relationship between you and God, you are the beneficiary and he is the benefactor always. You are always, you and I are always the ones who receive and he is always the one who gives. Even when we give, we receive from him. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. That's why he says, lay up treasures for yourself. Who else would it be for? Is it for God? Was God sitting there thinking, you know what? I really want to expand into this country over here, but money's a little tight because of the pandemic. And so if I just stir some more people, you just give a little bit more than we could do that? Like, it's not the way that it works. God tells us, give. It is a heart issue. The question is, do you believe me? I have greater things for you. God never expects us to give him something that is not for our own good. It's a good technology Sunday. But do you, do you hear that? Like, this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, I realize. God never expects us to give him something that is not for our own good. In Mark 10, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. This is in response to the disciples saying, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, you've given up nothing. You've given up nothing that I'm not going to repay a hundred times over. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. But I don't have to be 100% sure to believe it. I have some ideas. I've seen it happen. But no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived, like can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. It's not possible. I don't know completely. What I do know is that when they said, Jesus, we've given up everything, and they had, it's not like these were people who were just like, you know, I chipped in 25 cents. They gave up their lives. And Jesus, his response to them is, you've given up nothing that I won't repay a hundred times over question is just do you believe him that's what faith is and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him if you are functioning with a faith where you believe like well my job is just to be obedient just this obedient servant and just kind of get through life like this without any joy without any expectation from God that's not actually faith I felt really convicted of this in, in my life over the years. I remember saying to a friend of mine who something tragic had happened in his life and he was kind of, he was angry at God. And I thought, I, I don't know if I've ever experienced that, being angry at God. I've had really hard things and sad things happen in my life, but I just have never really, I've, I've never gotten to a place where I felt really disappointed or let down by God. And that can look like faith. But then, 
the Holy Spirit convicted me and I realized the reason why I never felt let down by God is because I never expected anything from him. Because my faith was about, I am just, I'm a sinner and I'm lucky that I get to go to heaven and so I'm just not going to ask for anything else and anything that happens in my life, I'm like, yep, probably, yep, probably deserve that one, definitely deserve that. Like, I'm just going to deal with it or whatever. And I realized I was never asking God for anything. And if I never asked him for anything, then I would never have to depend on him for anything, which would mean I could never be disappointed by him in anything. And the enemy said, oh, look at that. That's faith. No, it's not. It's not faith. Guarding our hearts from God and expecting things from him is not faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So should you give to receive a reward from God? Yes. Because doing it for a reward is believing there is one. And God says there is one. To say, I'll give, and I don't care if God blesses me through it, I don't need anything from God, is doubt. It is unbelief. So this is where those of you who are most uncomfortable are going to say, well, could you talk about what the rewards are? Like, so do we, if we give, then that means like I get to drive a Rolls Royce around and fly around in a helicopter? I don't know. I certainly don't. Here are the rewards that I see. One is faith. Which is where this all began, right? People saying, I want to I be closer to God. I want to know him more. I want to believe he's real. I want to feel his presence. And Jesus says, well, then give. So if that's what you want, and he tells you this is how you get it, then that would make sense that that's one of the first rewards that we're going to get is faith. To actually believe he's there. They say that seeing is believing. And Jesus constantly asks, do you see it? That's where this little verse in here that I don't know if you've ever been confused by verses 22 and 23 and what in the world does a lamp and the eye and the body have to do with all this giving stuff? Well, here's how. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So he's saying like, do you see it? If you see, if you see, if you see that he is the Messiah, if he sees, if you see that he is the one to come, if you see that he is your king, if you see that you've been adopted, if you see the treasure hidden in a field, if you see it, then light will fill everything. But if you don't, then even what is light will be darkness. See, if you see the world as that's all there is, then great is the darkness in you. If you see the kingdom is at hand, if you see your inheritance, then that affects everything. So he talks about you can't serve God and money. He's saying if you serve money, even when you have, and even when you are taken care of, you will still desire more, and you will still worry about not having enough. You see that? Like when you serve money and when you say, look, I, I, this is my God, this is my idol, even what is light, even what is God's provision will be seen as less than. It will be seen as not enough. It will be seen as you being slighted. And so even what is meant as God's light, his provision will be darkness. And if even God's provision for you is seen as darkness, then how great is the darkness in you? It's a true thing that the greeter, greedier you become, the less you have. Those who chase money never have enough. And we see that in our lives. We know that to be true. But if you serve God, then regardless of your circumstances, you will be blessed and provided for and without worry. Those who are free from the idolatry of money are always overflowing. 
If it wasn't the case, then the richer you become, the more generous you would become. And that is not the case. When I was in junior high, I went down to Kansas City and we served at this homeless shelter. And I talked to a a homeless man who's there that we were supposed to be serving, but he had a a plate of cookies and he was was sharing cookies with us. And I said, oh, where, where did you get these cookies? And he said, well, I made them. And I said, well, how, how did you make them? And he said, oh, I use the, the shelter. The shelter lets me use their oven. And I said, well, but how do you, so do you just like get the ingredients? Like I'm asking, I'm, I'm young, and I'm like just asking all the questions I can think of while adults around me are telling me to be quiet, but it never has worked even when I was little. And so I was like, so where did you get the stuff for the cookies? Like you don't have anything. And he said, he said, oh, people give me like if people give me money or whatever, I go to the grocery store and I buy whatever I have. Sometimes I have enough to buy ingredients for cookies. He said, last week, I got enough that I was able to buy ingredients to make a stew. And so he said, I made a big stew and then I got to feed a bunch of people with it. And I said, well, don't you think you should save some of that for yourself? Like why do you go and spend all of it on that and make food for everybody else? And he looked at me really confused. And he said, how could I receive such blessing from God and withhold it from other people? I will confess to you, I did not understand fully what that meant when I was 14. And I'm still learning. But I do know this, that is what it looks like to know that God exists and that he loves you, and that he'll provide for you. And he rewards those who seek him. He had no questions about that. And he was rich. So he gives us faith. He takes away our worry. That's why he says, therefore, do not worry. This is kind of that abundance mentality, that when you see yourself as receiving constantly from the God who has everything, then we never are lacking. We never, we never function in the scarcity mentality of I have to hoard things. I have to be careful because what if I don't have enough? What if we give this out and we don't have anything or we can't feed everybody or we can't serve everybody? But if we know that our Father is our Father who has everything, then we'd have an abundance mentality. And that's what he's talking about when he tells them not to be anxious. Remember, he talks about the lilies in the field and the birds of the air. What's he doing? He's pointing to all of creation and be like, look at what your Father does. Look at how rich he is. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Aren't you more important than they are? Don't you think he'll take care of you? He goes on later and talks about how which one of you, when your son asks for bread, would give him a stone. He's like, come on, like look around. Here's the evidence. Look at what he has given you. Do you believe? If you believe all this, then don't worry. Don't be anxious. But I do think a final blessing that happens in this is is often, because I've seen it happen so many times, is more financial resources. Why do I say that? Let me ask you something. Imagine you're a wealthy person, like uber wealthy, like billionaire. And you wanted to give away. You want to give money away. But you just can't can't give it all away. How in the world could you possibly do it? Plus, you didn't really want all the attention that comes with it. So let's say you're going to find somebody that will give money away for you. And you're going to go find somebody and you're going to say, hey, I've got a million dollars. I want you to give this away. And let's say that that person goes and like, what are you going to look for? We're going to look for somebody who will actually give it away. And you're going to look for someone who's going to be joyful in it. Imagine if like that person gave the money away and then coming back to you said, well, it was pretty hard. It's really difficult. Took a lot of my time. Like, do I get a little bit of something too? Like, are you going to give them more? Or are you going to give more to the one who comes back and says, that was amazing. I got to give away all of this money. I gave it away. I gave it all away. Oh, that must have taken a long time. Sure did. It was awesome. 
And what are you going to do? You say, well, hey, here's two million. Go give that away. Like, I think that is where we see the idea of generous people being blessed with more because we're a conduit. God has endless riches and he loves to bless his children. He loves to bless people. And so that's where the idea of we are blessed to be a blessing. He gives to us so that we'll give away. And when we joyfully give it away, he says, all right, I'll give you more. Parable of the talents, anyone? Like this is the principle. You're faithful to this small thing? I'm gonna give you more to give it away. So here's what I would encourage you. If you do give radically and generously and then God blesses you financially with you with that, he did not probably bless you with that so that you would buy a helicopter for yourself. He probably gave you that money so that you'd give more. And it's a lot of fun. But all these things, the faith, the lack of worry, and the being a conduit for God's generosity, all of it says more intimacy with him. Because when you have intimacy with God, then you won't worry. When you have intimacy with God, you will experience the generosity of God, and that will turn into the generosity with others. And that's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Listen, seeking first the kingdom of God is about more than just money. But it's not less than money. The plain, straightforward meaning of this passage is Jesus talking in the context of money. And so when he says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, he's not only talking about money, but he is at least talking about money. Do you see that? It's critical. He's saying make an investment. So how do we do that? I just want to quickly wrap up by saying, since I'm just going full bore with this, and I'm, I'm kind of thankful that we have this blizzard because you guys, I mean, it's a little smaller crew and the people who are watching online could have muted me by now or shut me off or whatever. Like, look, I just want to say that if you've been burned by the church and money, I am sorry about that. I am sorry. And for a long time in my life, because I had seen that happen, I avoided teaching about it. Until I realized it wasn't loving to do that. And so I get it. Like you can sit here and you can, you can you could hear this through whatever lens you have experienced. All I can tell you is that I can't talk about God's generosity towards us without talking about how Jesus says we are to display our faith in who he says he is. And he says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Make an investment in kingdom things. And that should first happen in the local church. My friend that gave the illustration that nobody likes earlier, he said, um, the bottom line is that Christian giving is not about giving to a cause, it's about giving to a person. Like you can give to a lot of great causes, but actual giving like in the church is us giving to Jesus. Not because he needs anything, but in our belief and our faith that he is who he says that he is. And so how do you give to him? You give by giving to his body. Like in the Old Testament, they brought their offerings to the temple. Why? Because that's the place where God dwelled. But now where does he dwell? In the hearts of believers, of his children, in the church. Not in a building, but in the people. And so my desire is for all Christians to be connected and all in with a local, Bible-believing, Jesus-exalting, gospel-proclaiming church. And I emphasize local. And all in means giving. So whether it's here or it's somewhere else, like being a part of a local expression of the church means giving. Because this is your family. A lot of people say, well, there's lots of good things to give to you. Yes. And Jesus would say first to your family. Why? Well, why wouldn't you give to your family first? Like imagine if I went over your finances with you and I said, hey, seems like a pretty decent-sized portion of your money goes to feeding your children and giving them shelter. You'd be like, well, yeah. 
And obviously. And what if I said, well, don't you know how many starving children there are in the world? Okay, yeah, I should probably take care of them, but I shouldn't probably let my children starve in pursuing that. No, of course not. Like God calls you to first be faithful with what's right in front of you. And so that is part of this idea that we are responsible first and foremost to the family that God has given us here. And then, by all means, care for others. I mean, Lauren and I, for example, we support other kingdom causes. We support other missionaries, other charities. We give to other things. But our first and by far largest giving is done right here. We encourage you to support ministries and missionaries and nonprofits and all the things. But I unapologetically will say that should be done first through the local church. I mean, look at missions and our heart for missions. We have several missionaries that we support. And by giving to our church, you're supporting all of our missionaries. Because a portion, um, a, a sizable portion of our budget goes to support our missionaries. This church has always been generous. For most of our missionaries, we are their largest single giver. Right? So most of our missionaries that we support, if they say, like, who, if someone said, who's your biggest giver, they would say Faith Church. So this church has been for years and years and years and years, has been incredibly generous to missionaries. But we go further than that. One thing that we do that's unusual is that on our website, if you click on our website to give, you have an option. You can give to the general church fund or you can also give, we serve as a conduit for all of our missionaries that we support. So you can give designated money then to those missionaries. And we encourage that. And this church has always encouraged that and that is actually kind of unique. But there's something that I would say confidently and I didn't ask Archer for permission to to say this, but I know he's said it before, so I don't mind repeating it. But Archer would tell you, Archer gets a large percentage of his money, his support, to do the chaplaincy and the police work from this church body, both formally, but then also informally, as other people have supported. And he would tell you, give to the church first. He would say, don't, don't take away from what you're giving to the church body to support me. And I would say, by all means, give above and beyond to support Archer and his work here with law enforcement. Do you see how that works? Like we believe so much that we want to facilitate your above and beyond generosity to our missionaries like Archer and Tiffany and the Nadalnys and the Langtows and the DeRochers and on and on and on. And I make no apologies to say that your first and largest giving should be to the local church family. Wherever you say, I'm all in here. Every bit as much as your paycheck should first go to feed your children. And I realize that that takes a lot of trust. So I said that people have been burned. I get it. I just can tell you that in my stage in life, I guess because I'm getting old, I just don't worry about that as much anymore. But I can tell you, we do take it very seriously. If you're new here and you're saying like, well, how that does take a lot of trust, understand that we understand that and we take it very seriously. That's why our finances are open to anybody. So you can ask, you can get, you can get a report. It'll tell you where every dollar has been spent, where we budgeted, where we said it was going to be spent and where it actually is spent. You can see it all. We have deacons who are responsible to look over the finances. We have systems in place to make sure we honor these gifts. Like, I have basically no access to anything. Like, I have to ask for an allowance. Like, pretty much any time I want to, like, take someone for coffee. And I'm good with that. I just, I, it's totally fine with me. Like, I don't know the, I don't know the, um, the code to the safe. Somebody asked me that one time. They're like, hey, do you, can we get the code to the safe so we can do the counting? I was like, I don't know what it is. And somebody started telling me. I was like, don't tell me what it is. I don't want to know. There's a reason. I don't know. Like, we have all these systems in place because we take that seriously. We want to honor that well. So I want you to feel encouraged in that. The biggest reason why we want to give here is because of the witness that it is to the community as a whole. The reason why you give locally 
is because it's commanded, but because it is so much more fun to see what God does when he pulls this together here in this body. This is why it doesn't make sense to say, like, well, I'm a part of a church. I watch this church on, in Texas every week. Like, no, you're not. Like, this is your local body. And this is where we have the impact and the witness. Just listen to Acts 4. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You can dismiss the generous act of one person, but of a whole community. I love that passage because it talks about like with power and testimony and what we know from other writings is that was the thing that nobody could explain they couldn't explain why these people were all mixing together of different races different socioeconomic classes and they were giving everything so that they could care for one another and everyone looked at them like what in the world so much so that the government tried to create a pagan religion that would mimic it because they were trying to figure out how do we how do we get so attractive but they couldn't do it because the only reason people did that was because they believed that they had a Father in heaven who would reward them. They did it because they'd received extravagant generosity from their Father, and so they responded with radical generosity. And in the process, God was glorified, and many saw their good works and worshiped their Father in heaven. He added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the question is just, do you believe it? Do you see it? If so, then give. And if I told you anything else, I would not be loving you well. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to give an opportunity over the next couple of weeks. I just want to give you a heads up that the communication cards that are in front of you, we're going to ask that if you would... Um, take a step of obedience. Next week, Robbie's going to talk about being generous with our time because that's another like, resource that we tend to kind of hoard and have a scarcity mentality about. But what we want to do is in two weeks, we want to have you just fill out on a card if you, if you want to some big step of radical faith that you want to take. And if you turn that in with your name on there, you're saying, we, I, I want, this is what I feel like God is calling me to do. It may be giving, it may be giving your time somewhere, it may be something radical. But that you're saying, I want to be held accountable for this. So you're going to write it. If you want to write it, you're going to write it. You're going to put your name on it. And you're going to turn it into the, one of the offering boxes. And then we commit to following up with you and helping hold you accountable to that. Because that's what we are as the church. So I'm not, I'm not going to go around and make everybody do that. I'm just saying like, we want to give that opportunity for people to respond in that way because it's critical that we get to respond to what God is doing in our lives. And one of the ways that we do that is through communion because it would be, it, it's so fitting that in talking about generosity that we would be reminded of the great generosity of our God who did not withhold even his own son. And if he didn't withhold even his own son, how will he not graciously with, us, with him give us all things? So this is our Father. So when we talk about things that we value, the things that we value most, what does the Father value more than his son? And Jesus came to earth lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we deserved. And the night before his death, he took his disciples, knowing what was to come. And he said, this is my body. He took a loaf of bread. He said, this is my body. And he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me.
And then he took the cup. And he said, this represents my, my blood. This is my blood poured out for the covenant, this new covenant, for the forgiveness of sins. He said, when you take this cup, drink and do it in remembrance of me. Father, we know that all things are gifts from you. Father, we know that we cannot ever give you anything that you don't already have, that you're not the source of. Even our faith is a gift from you. So God, we are the beneficiaries. You are the benefactor. We receive We receive your generosity. And if you would give us your son, how could we ever worry about things like money, food, or clothing? God, I pray that you would turn our thinking about money upside down. Pray that we would see you as the generous Father, the source of all things. And that we would realize that it is a tool for joy. That we are meant to be conduits to take what you have blessed us with and to be a blessing to others so that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So they might see what kind of joy we would live with, what kind of confidence we live with, what kind of faith we live with. God, help us to believe. We do believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to see the treasure in a field. Help us to see the great banquet. Help us to see the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And let it stir our hearts to worship you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.